trying to give Daniel time to give me the thumbs up. Oh, thank you, sir. I uh, have again felt a need to kind of go back to basics in my own Christian walk and foundational truths and um, why did God set things up the way He has. Uh, one of my favorite topics is marriage. My kids said, what are you going to speak on today? I said, oh, I think I'm going to speak on marriage. And they went, oh. <laughs> they said, yeah, everyone submits to each other and they love each other, blah, 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 something like that. So if that's what's going through your mind, I will say that um, I really I did not want to talk about practically how a marriage works out or marriage advice or anything like that. I really want to try to bring our uh, minds and our hearts' attention to why God set up marriage and what we can learn from God through the institution of marriage itself. Um, it's always interesting to me to try to think about what if he didn't create marriage? What if uh, he put Adam and Eve there in the garden and then there was different ways to procreate and people just kind of were all individuals for their whole lives? And um, what would that look like? There is beauty in what he has designed, what he has designed. So there's numerous things, but in Ephesians, Hebrews thirteen four, it says that marriage should be held in honor by everyone. I think that's countercultural for today. Uh, it says marriage is to be held in honor by everyone. What is it about this institution that we should love? What's the point of it? Is it really just about two people getting along so they're not lonely? Or does it go deeper than that? I would challenge us to say it goes a lot deeper than that. Let me give you three reasons today why God has designed marriage. One. It's a testimony. It's a testimony. It's a picture here on earth that you might look at that is supposed to show how God has a relationship with us. It's supposed to just be a living, breathing, walking picture down here on earth to show everyone down here what it's supposed to look like with us and God. Two, it's actually a place to raise godly offspring. And then three, it's a place of safety and peace and companionship. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much um, that you are the one that instituted marriage. Thank you for all the beautiful language about marriage in the Bible that uh, you have um, called yourself a husband to Israel. You have called us your bride. You have um, said different things, like in the book of John, I go to prepare a place for you, speaking almost of the engagement process. Lord, there's so many beautiful pictures and so we thank you for being the designer of marriage. And uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would control me today, that we might be built up and edified, that you would um, bring peace to our hearts as uh, marriage can be an intimate topic, and that we would just um, see it for as you have um, taught us through your scripture um, and why you have designed it. We pray that you would be glorified and honored in your name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Some of these passages might be familiar to you. Ephesians 
we'll start there in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Again, the testimony here, this is just one part, as you might have heard in my prayer, when God calls himself a husband or that we are the bride, that this, that marriage is supposed to look like how God treats us. And so the first part of a marriage is the mutuality of it. Okay, marriage is a relationship of free self-giving of one human being to another. The marriage partners are to be first and foremost concerned about the well-being of the other person and to be committed to each other in steadfast love and devotion. The point of a biblical God-based marriage is that you put the other person first, that you have chosen that you would let go of your independence and then say, it is now me and my spouse that there's a mutuality that we have both agreed one person's feelings are just as important as the others. One person's goals is just as important as the others that we are now losing our independence and becoming one. Okay, we are becoming one. And so in that, why is this such a big deal and how we treat one another as a spouse? Um, because this is where that practical piece does come into play. If, if you're not really treating your spouse that well, well, it doesn't look like you're really looking out for their feelings. You're giving a picture that God really doesn't care about your feelings. Or worse, maybe, I don't know if that's worse, but that we don't really care how God feels. It's interesting in these talks, right, that we know that God always cares about our feelings. God always loves us. He is love. He's always perfect. So in these pictures of marriage, how you treat your spouse can a lot of times be the exact same way you treat God. And that's why it matters. And that's not even about us. It's about what our believers and non-believers are looking at when they see us. The way you treat your spouse is the way you treat God usually. That's pretty deep. And I thought about that as, uh, again, if I make mistakes or, or yell and scream or I'm, I'm selfish or whatever it is to Kim, it's, it's, it's very hard. to. I wouldn't be like that with God, though, just her. <laughs> and then sometimes it's interesting when you kind of give yourself a gut check of, wait a minute, is that actually how I treat God, too? I just don't say it the same way. I might get mad and upset, but I know I... I can't really say that because he's God, so I'm just going to give myself a pity party. This also turns into the positive. Have you ever thought of how to please God? We've talked about some of these things before. Just between you and him. Hopefully, in a marriage, you're looking out for the person's feelings, desires, and things like that because you love them, and it actually would bring you joy to see them be happy. And this practically works out in a bunch of different ways, right? Some people want gifts, and some people want a house cleaned, and some people need a vacation every year, and some people say, how dare you spend a dime on going out to dinner because that's a waste of money. And all those things work out different practically. But have we thought of how we can show God we love him? 
I'll give you one little example for me. And again, as I say some of these things, I really hope you don't take it as me judging or coming down at all. I'm just trying to give practical illustrations. It's so funny. If I go on vacation and I try to go to church on my vacation, I don't know if I've ever heard someone say, oh, that's nice. Numerous times I've heard my believer friends, and again, I'm not saying they were mean or I felt offended by it by any means, but they're like, why do you have to go to church? You're on vacation. Like, it's okay. Don't be legalistic. God understands. And I understand all that. And in fact, that's why I'm bringing up the, the illustration is because sometimes we get into such a, is it right or wrong? What about the thing? You know what? It's just, this is actually something I can do to hopefully tell God I love him. It's crazy. Why in the world, if I have a four-day vacation, would I take three hours out of that great vacation that I need to go learn of him and spend time with him? Why would I do that? It's a very nice way to simply say, I love you. That, that's all it is. And again, if you're on vacation, I'm not saying, oh, man, remember that sermon? We got to go. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that we should be looking because it's a testimony of ways to please the Lord. Have you ever tried to treat someone differently just between you and the Lord? It's kind of like a secret. Someone treating you like a jerk, and you're just going to keep loving them. And between you and the Lord, you're like, oh, man, Lord, I, I want to just beat him up right now. But you know what? I'm going to get him a gift or something like that. It's just between you and the Lord. It's an intimacy kind of thing. As we talk about the mutuality of marriage and putting each other first, I would remind us, and the Bible would say, he loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. He has always put me first. And that feels weird to say. But remember um, when that verse, when it says he gave himself for me, there's just beautiful things there of when did he give himself for me? When I was his enemy. Why did he give himself for me? For my benefit. How did he give himself for me? Fully. Fully. He is the ultimate example of what a spouse should be. Ultimate example. There's also an intimacy of marriage. Intimacy of marriage. So we have the mutuality of marriage, which is a testimony of putting each other's needs at hand and our, and our feelings and things like that. And then there's the intimacy of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we don't have to turn there. This talks about, For a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. There is the one flesh intimacy. There's really, you can't get more intimate than that. <laughs> but there's also a verse here in Genesis that I absolutely love where it says they were both naked and they did not feel ashamed. So you might have heard me say this a few times because I keep going back to my goodness to be completely vulnerable with someone. I just did a, a, a marriage a couple weeks ago and just I love just being able to talk about that verse that you and your spouse should be able to be completely vulnerable in front of each other. It's not just naked physically. It's I'm going to share with you and tell you everything about me. And that can be scary. And I'm putting it out there and I'm trusting you with it. Why is that such an important part of a testimony? The world needs to see that us as believers are willing to put our heart out there to God and say, here's my dreams, here's my hopes, here's my struggles, here's my fears. I'm going to tell you all about it. Can I trust you with it? Can I trust you with that? 
It is a powerful testimony to the world when you just know that there's a couple that are completely open and honest with each other. In fact, the opposite of this is usually like, oh, when you can just plainly see hanging out with a couple, they're not talking to each other. They are not sharing with each other. They are not being vulnerable with each other. Do you know the Lord Jesus completely wants to share everything about who he is with us? Everything. There is nothing he is hiding from us. There are certain times where he does not divulge certain information. And I do love in John chapter 16, verse 12, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The only reason Jesus Christ didn't divulge certain information to his disciples is not because they didn't want to. He's like, trust me, you can't handle it right now. (laughs) That's the only reason I'm not divulging it. That's the only reason he does not share certain things with us now. But again, I think he shares everything in heaven. Every little piece of who he is, I think he should just share. And wouldn't, don't we just get excited thinking about that? I've said before from here, I'm, I'm sure that some of you will be in heaven, praise the Lord, but I just kind of figure heaven is just me and him alone walking somewhere for a good million years. Then you guys can join the party. That's why I'd like to imagine it. Just want to hang out. In this picture of marriage, of why he created an institution where people could be vulnerable. Because remember, actually the Bible says it's not good to share all your feelings with everyone, by the way. There's an opposite to this. You don't go blabbing around all your feelings to everyone. But marriage, you get to. What about the idea of confessing sin, right? We are supposed to be able to completely tell God our feelings and be open with him. If he has called us the bride... He is telling us, you can tell me anything. And I might have shared this story before, but I, I remember clearly me and Dwight Knight hanging out and uh, just talking about confessing sin. And I, I was just kind of confused. Like, yeah, okay, I'll kind of confess it, but kind of like in a church-like prayer, like forgive me for this sin and that sin. And, and I remember Dwight going, do you think God is embarrassed to hear about your sins? And I went, shoot, now that you put it that way, I guess the answer is no, but yes, that's how I was feeling. (laughs) Like, I can't honestly tell him all my feelings because that's gross. I'm not supposed to do that to God. I just remember Dwight being like, I think he's above that. (laughs) He, He knows your sins. He knows all your thoughts. He knows what sin is, period. You can tell him what's going on in your mind. And that, for me, that was just, just so encouraging. You go, oh, okay. There is an intimacy that we are to have with our Savior where there is nothing that stops us from being intimate with Him, that we can just pour out our hearts. And again, This is why he gave us marriage, to be a testimony of that. So then the world goes, wow, those two actually hang out. They share everything with each other. They're not embarrassed in front of each other. My goodness. And when that couple goes, yeah, and that's how you can be with God, they go, are you crazy? 
I can be like that with God? Three, the testimony of a marriage is about the permanence of marriage. It's intended to be permanent. Since it was established by God, in Matthew 19, verse 6, Mark 10, verse 9, it says, you know, what God has joined, let no one uh, put asunder. It represents a serious commitment. It speaks of God's faithfulness to us. And we are to be faithful to Him. To know, and as we said before, one of my favorite verses there in 1 Timothy, where it says, even when we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. It is in His character to be committed to us. And yes, the Bible says God hates divorce. And yes, He doesn't want divorce to happen. By the way, it's not the unforgivable sin. I know there are those among us today who have been through divorce and things like that. Sometimes the church does wrong and how to deal with that. But I want to encourage us, too, that even when we talk about that and hear those things out loud, that we would agree, right, that God does not want divorce. He doesn't want it because it's a picture of us and him. And he's saying, listen, we're, we're in this together. And this has to do sometimes with the idea of like not losing your salvation. That he, He's in control of your salvation. And your salvation is entrusted to Him. And He's saying, no matter what, you're going to be with me forever, no matter what. Um, there was a, a time where um, I um, had on my board at school a while back, we were teaching about the effects of parenting styles. And I put on my board, the best parenting style is when two parents love each other and love their kids and discipline their kids. I had a lady at work that came up to me and said, why are you putting the best? And she kind of welled up with tears, and she was a single mom. And she goes, I just don't like that you said the best. I said, hey, Damien, slow down. I was like, I'm not saying you can't be a good single mom. not saying that at all. I said, but the best is the best. <laughs> I was like, so you're saying you, you'd rather have it this way than, you know, you and your husband loving relationship never got divorced? And the reason I'm saying all that is, is when we talk about these things, I, I understand that real life happens um, and loving. But at the same time, as believers, we can use those things. Well, yeah, but... The picture is God never wanted it to happen. <laughs> and sin has messed that up. But let's not steal from the best just because it happens a lot. Not only is it a testimony, it's a place to raise a godly offspring. Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 and verse, uh, let's start in verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. 
yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none dealt treacherously with the wife of his youth. Why did God institute this is one of the reasons? Why did he make them one? Why did he bring two people together for godly offspring? Now, as we go about this, there's another question. Is my personal conviction, there's nowhere in Scripture that tells you you have to have kids. Okay? There's just a lot of things. Um, you know, should you have 21 kids? Sure, go for it. Who cares? Should you have one kid? Sure, go for it. Who cares? At the end of the day, it's you and your family. But that doesn't rob from the principle of the reason God set up a marriage is to raise godly offspring. Okay? And here's why. Where is the hope for the next generation? Isn't it amazing that God has designed it in a way that if the world gets really crazy, there's always the chance that if the Christian parents can raise the next generation godly and committed, the world can change. That is the truth. And so it gives us hope. There's numerous times while I'm teaching that my students say something and I laugh and out loud I go, there is no hope for your generation. <laughs> numerous times. And you know what? It's funny. I kind of got convicted. And I hate saying it on the poll because then maybe I really have to stop. But I, I probably shouldn't say that because there's always hope with the Lord. <laughs> there's always hope that the next generation who have not been raised yet up into the world can see the world differently. They can be raised correctly. And that's what God is saying. With We set up this marriage that the kids can look and go, wow, the way mom and dad love each other is a picture of how God loves us. Okay, and then there's order and then there's discipline. All these things are Christian living. And you can raise them up to think biblically and with the truth. And that will change the world. There's always hope for the next generation. There's so many times in the Bible where it talks about a new song and His mercies are new every morning. And every generation that comes up is new. It's new. Kim and I try to tell people all the time, you create your children's reality. Now again, I'm talking about, I guess, when they're really little, by the time they're teenagers, there's a little difference there. But every parent creates their children's reality. If for some reason... We established here at Branford Bible Chapel that all the kids under 10 every week stack the chairs and clean this rug afterwards. And every single adult was like, guys, this is church. This is what you do. They would think it's completely normal. Until maybe like 17, 18, they go to another church and go, whoa, what? You guys don't have to stack chairs and clean the rug? What? We create the reality. So when we say, hey, guys, and again, I mean, I'm, I've never done this, but we're going to read the Bible for an hour every night after dinner. It's a long time before the kids go, wait a minute. No one else does that. <laughs> we create the reality. Okay. And hence, I just want to encourage us in a marriage. God has instituted the family Christian home where you can raise the next generation and say, hey, guys, God is everything you want. That's reality. I'd also like to encourage us with this. As God has, has um, said, listen, I want marriage to raise the next generation in a godly way. 
Well, there's a lot you can say about a godly generation. One of the things I want to speak to is this idea of the fact that we were created in the image of God. We get worth, we get intrinsic value, um, and there is an impression on us of who God is, being created in the image of God. And one of the things that God has done and, and part of who He is, is He is a creator. He spoke the world into existence. He created the earth. He, he did all these things. And then He told us as mankind, go create and do a garden. Be fruitful and multiply. I want you to produce. I want you to produce. That's part of being made in the image of God, you know. That's part of being godly. Okay? And so, why do we say all those things? Okay? Is that that is part of us raising the next generation. They've, they've got to produce. Now, that's a broad, in general topic. Okay? But it is a bad testimony when the children do not produce and do nothing. Okay? It's a bad testimony. So, yes, we're talking about normal work jobs and work ethic, but we're talking about being involved in church. We're talking about just doing godly life. We're raising them to produce, to produce, to make a difference. We should impress that on the next generation and not just kind of say, well, just get, get by. Third, it's a place of safety and peace and companionship. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. <laughs> one of the reasons God instituted marriage is so you could just simply enjoy each other and have a blast. And I know that sounds sometimes like, okay, of course, but I got to tell you, sometimes couples need to work on that. Couples need to work on just having a good time with each other. Enjoy each other. Enjoy life. Because that's how God intended it. Because again, it's a testimony that God enjoys us, and we're supposed to enjoy Him. Marriage is not, well, I'll marry this person just so it works out for me and I can survive. You know, I always think of that kind of like with the pilgrims, spouses died, and then they're like, well, I'm not going to live alone, so who wants to get married? Because I literally need someone to, like, cook, clean. I literally need someone to provide, like... I'm not talking about that. We're talking about, hey, let's enjoy each other. Let's enjoy life with your wife. What are you doing to have fun in your marriage? I mean, yes, this is a little different because I just came back from vacation. So I kind of I proved this one. Okay? But have fun with each other. Go do something. Okay? It is weird for me to think that the Lord enjoys us, but it says in Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The Lord takes pleasure with us. He takes pleasure with us. And we 
are to enjoy the Lord. I'm always going to say, where do we set the bar with enjoying the Lord? Do we set the bar too low? We just kind of like them. And just like some of our marriages are in survival mode, there's nothing really going on wrong. There's not a lot of enjoyment. And we just go, well, that's just the way life is. It'll get better when the kids are gone. Okay? Remember the testimony. Do you, do you do the exact same thing with the Lord? Well, it really can't get better down here on earth. It's kind of crazy. You know, the world's going crazy. When we get to heaven, everything will work out. That's kind of the way we do it. There was a story of a girl called Winnie, who was a very bad girl. And her mom said, don't you know you'll never go to heaven if you're so naughty? After thinking for a moment, Winnie said, oh, well, I've been to the circus once and Uncle Rick's cabin twice. I can't expect to go everywhere. (laughs) Sometimes that's the attitude we have with enjoying the Lord. I've enjoyed him somewhat. He saved me, but, you know... Let's not set the bar too high. Guys, again, I, I love nothing more than to see the older couple still fool around, flirt. You know, they're going, you know, a walk on the beach. They're like 70 years old. You know, I love it. I know all the 70-year-olds. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have thrown out a number. I just meant older. Oh, my wife's going to talk to me about that one. The point is, I, if you remember what I first said, I said I enjoy it. Okay? The point is, we should be enjoying life all the way to the end. We should, we should not take for granted those simple things of walking on the beach, making each other laugh, all those things. And, and that's how our relationship is with God. That's what He wants more than anything. Just a day-in, day-out, normal relationship where we enjoy each other. Sometimes we make it too complicated. I want to encourage us. Marriage is definitely under attack. So at at the end of this message, I just want to show you why he instituted it. Because I tell you, the world's going crazy. And sometimes we get caught in conversations that we're just so lost in and not knowing the foundational truths of why marriage is there to begin with. I want to encourage us with that. God knows what he's doing. He made marriage for a reason. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you um, that you have said you want to be basically married to us. Oh, Lord, and all that that means, um, you are the perfect spouse to us. Always loving, always forgiving, always committed, um, never jealous, never, well, I shouldn't say not jealous, but Lord, there's just so many great things we can think about. Uh, when uh, we think of you um, like that. We pray for our marriages, Lord, that we would just uh, enjoy one another, that we would uh, be given wisdom in in raising the next generation, and that uh, we would just realize, Lord, that that how we live this life is actually a testimony of how uh, it's supposed to be with uh, our relationship with you. And so help us to make you look good. In your name, amen.